Hi everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts from Property Apprentice. Join me today for the Week in Review, where I'll talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. First topic for this week was an article published in Stuff on the 14th of April, which was titled, What Happened Last Time House Prices Fell? And Is This Time Different? So because of house prices falling, many people are making comparisons between what's happening now and what happened during the global financial crisis of 2008. So here's some similarities between those two events. In the GFC, the early part of the GFC was characterised by a slump in house sales. And currently, we're seeing a decrease in the number of sales that are happening as well. And this is despite the number of homes on the market being up by almost 159% year on year versus this time last year. Velocity property data also found from the sales peak in April 2007, so just before the global financial crisis, sales declined rapidly, falling 31% over a four-month period. And CoreLogic data released last month shows that prices have fallen about 2% from their high in November, which is in line with other market predictions, uh, including Westpac analysis of the situation. So despite the similarities, the drivers are quite different between the global financial crisis and what's going on at present. So let's talk about some of these differences. The global financial crisis in 2008, that was caused by a banking liquidity crisis. What we're seeing now, uh, and this was the opinion of CoreLogic, what we're seeing now is a drop in demand for property due to unaffordability and low consumer confidence. So one of the things that we're seeing in contrast to what CoreLogic is seeing is that we're not seeing a decrease in the desire to own property. What we're seeing is a decrease in the number of people that can actually get lending because of the changes to the triple CFA and things like that. So I think that that is a significant difference. You know, GFC, nobody could get lending or it was very difficult to get lending, whereas now there's a segment of the market which it has become harder for, particularly the first home buyer market. Okay, back in 2008, banks were able to cut interest rates, making mortgages more affordable to more people, which increased the demand, and that softened the landing for the housing market. But what we're seeing at the moment is house prices began while they began rising, while interest rates were already historically low. So the Reserve Bank's been signalling lenders to increase their interest rates quickly to keep up with the dramatic increases in the cost of living. Now, um, one of the things that we know is that the Reserve Bank increases the OCR to help curb inflation. It's got little to do with the property market. They have to take the property market into account, but the main driver for the OCR announcements is to help control inflation. So we've had inflation through the roof, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that shortly, but the increasing interest rates When interest rates get to a certain point, it does reduce demand in the housing market. My personal opinion is that we're not quite there yet, um, but it's coming quickly, okay, because interest rates are increasing quite rapidly. So the head of valuations from Velocity, James Wilson, said that there's no single headwind 
that could collapse house prices and prices were unlikely to go off a cliff with the rest of the economy strong and unemployment low. So let's have a look at how the GFC and the current situation compares in terms of price falls. In the GFC, the Reserve Bank reported house prices in March 2009 were about 9% lower than the year before. And there's another research institute called MOTU, which estimated that between April 2007 and April 2011, the real house price, so the amount paid for a house adjusted by inflation, fell by 15.3%. Real Estate Institute data shows house prices fell by about 8% nationwide before they started to recover. Velocity found that median house prices only fell by 4.23% between the months of the crisis itself. So, and although they did admit that there were some areas affected worse than others. So what you'll see is in the GFC, depending on what sort of data you're looking at and where you're getting that data from. House price corrections could have been anywhere from 4.23% right up to 15.3%. Currently, Velocity is predicting a 5% decrease in values, which is half of what the country's largest bank is predicting, that's ANZ. Westpac is predicting a 13% drop. And um, yeah, so that's a fairly significant range there as well, anywhere from 5% up to 13% decrease in prices. We tend to be a bit more on the conservative side with our estimation for um, price drops. Reserve Bank has has indicated that they're expecting house prices to drop by about 9% by the middle of 2024. I would be surprised if that happens because the main the main reason that I'd be surprised if that happens, if we get a significant house price drop, is because we do have a lot of the fundamentals that are still supporting the property market in a very similar way to what we saw in the global financial crisis. But the biggest difference between the global financial crisis and now is that in the GFC, everyone was hurting financially. Um, so there were a lot more mortgagee sales, a lot more motivated vendors. We're not seeing that same level of motivation in the market at the moment. So I think some house prices will drop in value. Some houses will sell for a lower price point, and that'll be dependent on how motivated that vendor is to sell when there's less buyers in the market. Roughly 60% of home loans will need to be refinanced in the next year, and uh, that's according to CoreLogic. And for many borrowers, that is going to mean that their interest rates could double. Okay, So the interest rates on your home loan could double, depending on what rate you fixed them on previously. So one of the things that I would suggest is that if you're in a situation where your mortgage is coming up for a rate refix within the next 12 months or so, uh, talk to an independent mortgage advisor and, and get some help to work out whether you'd actually be better off to break that fixed interest rate now and refix even at potentially at a higher interest rate for a longer term uh, just to carry you past this peak of this interest rate cycle because interest rates are highly likely to increase again from this point forward until we reach that peak of the inflation cycle. All right, the second topic for discussion is if mortgage rates are rising, 
why aren't deposit rates? And this was in an article that was published in Stuff on the 15th of April. So the Reserve Bank hiked the official cash rate by 0.5% on Wednesday, and ANZ responded almost immediately by increasing their home loan rates. But while the bank passed on the full increase to the floating rates and 80% of it to their two-year fixed rates, it actually only increased its rates for term deposits for less than one year by between 0.1 and 0.15% and its five-year deposit rate by 0.25%. ASB, as a comparison, they increased their variable home loan rate by 0.5%, but their savings plus account increased by just 0.3% at the full bonus rate. So there's been lots of commentary around this. There is a growing gap between home loan interest rates and the savings rates, you know, the interest rates that you get on savings accounts. But quite often people expect that increases in the OCR will result in an increase in in their savings accounts. So uh, let's have a look at a bit more about that and the reason why we tend to see that happen. The interest rate for term deposits in banks is usually set by how much a bank needs money. If there's less money, banks increase their term deposit rates to encourage people to hold on to their savings. In other words, it encourages savings. A higher OCR usually means that there's less money available in banks because people are spending money rather than saving it due to rising inflation. So, And that's essentially, like I said before, that's the whole purpose for the OCR, to help curb inflation. So by increasing the OCR, it helps conserve the economy. We're trying to reduce spending, encourage saving by increasing those interest rates. But at the moment, we're not seeing that following through into the savings accounts. So, um, yeah, this hasn't been the case this time, obviously. So, you know, data from the Reserve Bank showed that the average interest rate for a six-month term deposit rose from 0.83 in March last year to one88 in March this year. And over the same rate, the interest rate on two-year fixed home loans rose from 3.47% to 5.04%. So one of the things that I would suggest is if you've got money in a savings account, but you're paying with low interest, obviously, but if you're paying higher interest rates on your mortgage, talk to your mortgage advisor and see if you'd be better to have an offset account or a revolving credit facility, for example, so that you can pay down a chunk of your mortgage or have money in an offset account to reduce the amount of interest that you're paying, which thereby increases the amount of principal that you're paying off the mortgage. So you're paying down your mortgage faster. Okay, so join us if you want more information about topics like this. Join us in one of our free Beginner's Guide to Property Investment events that we hold online and in person in Auckland. Check us out and register for one of our upcoming dates at propertyapprentice.co.nz. Register today and I'll see you there. Topic number three was in the New Zealand Herald on the 14th of April. This was the headline, Master Builders Calls for More Efficient Building Consent System Due to Major Delays. Now, there was a a building company who who made comment about how they tried to book two pre-roof inspections earlier this week, but there was no availability until early June which is massive delay. And this was in Christchurch, this particular developer. The next inspection needed on those jobs would be pre-clad and then pre-lined, but neither of those could be booked 
until the pre-roof inspection had been carried out. Because of the system and the delays in these inspections, this particular builder or developer estimated that a normal six-month build could stretch out to two years in duration instead of six months. If there's an average of 14 inspections at seven weeks apart. So, within those two years, because of the increase in inflation in building products that we're seeing, that's potentially another 25 or 30% increase in costs. And that could increase the cost of that property by about $100,000, if not more. And so, the particular developer wrote to the Christchurch City Building Consenting head and wrote about his concerns around that. So, you know, obviously this is a significant issue, especially in Christchurch. Some of the other councils aren't being impacted by such long delays because there's not as much development going on in those other sections, but certainly Christchurch is going through a building boom at the moment. There's some major issues that were discussed in, in this particular article. One of the issues that the developers are facing is that cash flow problems caused by those delays in getting the buildings consented could result in a lot of developers going broke. And then other developers could cut corners and potentially complete the builds without being able to get the sign-off from council, which would reduce your chance of getting a code compliance certificate. And obviously, without a code compliance certificate, you're unlikely to be able to get lending to purchase that property. So there's a number of different issues that could happen you know, throughout this process. One of the issues that were raised was that with too many councils involved in the building consent process and too many consenting authorities, they don't follow the same sort of protocols. Some of them are using online um, inspection processes and others aren't. So, you know, there's quite a bit of variation across the country there. This particular builder and developer was suggesting that if it was a standardised approach across the industry, across all of the councils, then um, some of the councils potentially that weren't quite as busy and with such large backlogs, they could help out with those remote inspections to help speed up the timelines. For example, Auckland Council is not experiencing any delays. The Building Consents General Manager there said that um, COVID-19 infection rates have been kept to a minimum amongst staff, so that was enabling them to keep on top of things. Wellington City Council was the same, no delays in their building consent process and potentially because they've got lots of construction projects projects that are currently on pause, just waiting for materials to arrive. So few issues there. So what I would suggest is if you're looking at purchasing a new build, if you haven't already got a property under contract, make sure you get your lawyer to check that contract before you sign it. Preferably make sure that the estimated completion date is within a short time frame and do your homework on the developer. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to be purchasing a property that's due to be completed a couple of years down the track from a developer who might go broke, for example. Okay, next topic. This was an article published on News Hub on the 18th of April. Home buyers increasingly resorting to pooling their resources. And um, what we're seeing in this article was that people are more and more receptive to the idea of purchasing property with friends rather than um, waiting until they've saved enough deposit on their own. So, for example, a median income household 
would currently take about 11 years to save for a standard deposit, so standard 20% deposit to buy a home, if they were able to put aside 15% of their income each week. But for people who were single, obviously that could take twice the time. So more people were open to purchasing property with someone other than a partner or spouse if they weren't in a situation where they had a partner or spouse, buying a house with a friend or another family member, for example, because it would mean that together your deposit would be larger, which helps to reduce the mortgage. There's a few things to be aware of in this, and that is that in order to purchase a property as a co-ownership, quite often the banks will still require both of you individually to be able to afford the entire mortgage on your own. Okay, This is the loan servicing side of things. So again, get good advice from an independent mortgage advisor so that they can put your loan application with the bank that's most suited to both of your situations or all three of you if there's more than two involved okay get good legal advice before you enter into a co-ownership of a property understand your rights and responsibilities and make sure that you set up an agreement before you enter into this contract um, just to understand all of the exit points you know like if someone wants to sell the property then what happens you know if one of you wants to sell and the other one doesn't what do you do in that situation cover off all of those exit strategies now the last topic for today's session was an article that was published on One Roof on the 18th of April and the headline there was why sellers are likely to see more cheeky offers on the table Calvin Davidson wrote this article. He's the chief economist at CoreLogic, and he made some pretty interesting comments here. So the first point that he was talking about was that the Reserve Bank steps up the pace. So the OCR is now sitting at 1.5%, and inflation expectations are a major concern for the Reserve Bank. And mortgage rates have already risen and will likely continue to rise in response to the increasing OCR. The Reserve Bank's indicated that they will continue to increase the OCR, so expect that in the May announcement, which will show further increases in interest rates. Mortgage interest rates, a one- to two-year fixed rate, is highly likely to hit the 6% mark, if not higher, over the next few months. And I think potentially what people should be doing is budgeting to make sure that they can afford their mortgage if interest rates are at 6%, but even higher than that. You know, you just want to make sure that, you're, that you've got a, a decent buffer in your cash flow there to allow for that. And sometimes it could mean that you have to cut back on a few extra expenses, you know, like instead of going to the hairdresser quite so often, you might colour your hair yourself at home. Just for an example. So lots of different things that you can potentially look at to reduce your expenses in order to continue to pay the mortgage. But again, uh, like I said earlier, if you've got fixed interest rates coming up, fixed mortgage rates coming up within the next 12 months, talk to your mortgage advisor, work out whether it's better for you to break your current rate and refix for a longer period of time or whether you're better off to hold the course and just wait until that interest rate comes up and then um, cross that bridge when you get to it. So something else that you can look at doing is splitting up your mortgage. So, you know, if it's better for you to wait 
until your interest rate comes up for renewal, at that point, it might be worthwhile looking at at splitting your mortgage into different terms. So have part of it fixed for just 12 months. Part of it you might keep floating so you can pay that down as quickly as possible. Remember that the long-term average interest rate over the last 20 years for one-year rates, the long-term average has been about 6.5%, just less than 6.5%. So we're still actually below the long-term average for our interest rates at the moment. It just seems crazy high compared to the low interest rates that we've all got used to over the last few years. So point number two was that um, more weakness for volumes and value in March. So decrease has been observed in sale activity, so less properties have been selling. Um, Sales in March are 30% lower than what they were last year, according to the data that Calvin was working off. Property sales continue to drop as mortgage rates increase. Lending remains restricted, all those sort of things that we've talked about earlier. So one of the things that Calvin said was that he expects more buyers to put in cheeky offers and for more of them to get accepted by sellers nationwide. And I totally agree with that. But as I mentioned earlier, I don't think that cheeky offers are going to get accepted across the board. I think it'll only be sellers who need to sell that will accept lower offers, not the ones who just want to sell. Because obviously, if someone just wants to sell but doesn't have to, um, they're likely to just hold off until they get an offer that's more acceptable. But for the vendors that are in a situation where they need to sell, when there's less buyers in the market, they might not have much of an option but to negotiate on price. The brain drain already seems to have started, so we've got relaxed border restrictions, and that's potentially we'll see more Kiwis coming home. But at the moment, the latest migration data shows more New Zealand citizens are leaving than are coming in. So in net terms, the last three months add up to a seasonally adjusted total of around 1,200 since November. Okay, so that means 1,200 more people left New Zealand than came in. And again, that will affect the property market because potentially that's 1,200 less buyers in New Zealand now. Uh, Obviously, not all of the people that have left New Zealand would have been interested in purchasing a home. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But quite often, we do see the strength in the property market is reflected by what's happening with migration. Obviously, at the moment, we've got a few bigger issues like availability uh, with credit and also affordability in housing as interest rates continue to increase. The highest profile data released this week was the CPI, so quarter one CPI, Consumer Price Index, and that was released at 10.45 on Thursday morning, which showed 6.9% increase. That's the highest that we've seen in decades not 6.9 increase, 6.9 was the CPI, but highest we've seen in decades. And having the benefit of hindsight, that actually supports the Reserve Bank decision to increase the OCR by 0.5% rather than the more conservative choice, which was 0.25%. So I think um, we'll just wait and see what happens over the next few weeks. And then we'll see if inflation starts to show signs of slowing down a bit, then there's a chance that the Reserve Bank's next announcement might just be 0.25. But I also wouldn't be at all surprised if the next announcement is for another big chunk, like 0.5% increase next time, just to make sure that, that we get ahead of this inflation sooner rather than later.
All right, so thanks for listening for today's episode. And like I said, if you want to catch up to, up with me on one of our free events, feel free to register for one of those on propertyapprentice.co.nz and I'll look forward to seeing you there. Bring all your questions. It's a live event, so happy to answer them as we go through. Thanks a lot. <music>